0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Abundant Solutions Hour. Our goal is to help others be more, do more, and have more. I'm your host, Gregory Turner.
1: And I'm your co-host, Brian J. Henderson.
0: Music, Brian, music. I hear music. That's what (laughs) I've been hearing all week. (laughs) You know, I I was just looking back over my life, and I was just talking with other people, and our lives, man, is really a song. A lot of singers... They write their music based on things and their experiences that have happened in their lives. And Brian, you were in the music industry, so you have an
1: idea of what's that, you know what that's like. Absolutely, you know a lot of the songs that I wrote, ironically, were love songs. Mm. And so, and and I think you know part of it at that time it was because I had a lot of love in my heart and I and my personal feelings about life you know, transferred into the songs that I was writing. Yeah. And so you lot you know, you have a lot of people where they can tell you a story about their life based on the songs that they've written.
0: Mhm. And and Brian also, a lot of people write songs because of their suffering. You can hear it in their music. Mm-hmm. I I never really could um adapt to jazz well some not jazz but the blues. Right. I would always listen Everybody wanted to, to listen to that song, but it to the jazz music, not the jazz, I'm sorry, but the the, the blues, but I always felt that's depressing to, to hear if you just listen to the words of the songs, but people really love it. I can't, <laughs> I don't understand it, but I guess there's a connection with, um, with some of the things that have happened to the artists and the listeners that are just listening to that music. I could never get a part of that, Brian.
1: Yeah, see, the thing about the blues is that the blues is just that, it, it, tells a story about a struggle, you know, and so some people can relate to that story of that struggle, you know, like you might hear a blues song say, I've been through so many things and I've struggled and, you know, I'm not singing here, but, (laughs) (laughs) you know, and uh, when you hear that, you can feel, you know, they try to put you into that mindset, yeah, I've been there before.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've
1: done that before. I've, I've gone through that. You know, a lot of writers as well, they write based on their experiences. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: You know, you might have a person that may write a book based on a life event or, you know, something that may have happened to someone else, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: you know, or something that they may have witnessed, you know. And so when they're writing, a lot of them transfers into the book or a lot of what their thought process is naturally transfers into that book. Mm -hmm. So when you get... When you read that book or when you hear that song, you're actually seeing that person or that situation, and you can tell when it's a good song, or it's a, or if it's a good book, when you can actually see yourself, you know, when you can envision yourself immersed in that book or in that song.
0: hmm Brian, what about friends and lovers? You remember that song?
2: Friends and lovers. <laughs> yeah.
0: Friends and lovers, you know, we don't have music like that anymore, sad to say, but, we, but that song, it was a top song when it was out, and a lot of people are still listening to it today. It's something special about that song, and it was something very special about the people that were singing it, too, Brian.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. You know, Greg, I want to just uh, talk about tonight's topic. Tonight's topic is life is a song. Life is a song, and, you know, we want, we want you to listen in, but we also want you to call in and comment about, you know, any life experiences you may have had, and also we want you to call in and uh, ask questions for our special guest tonight, and we'll tell you who that is in just a moment, but our calling number is 718-508-9600, that's 718-508-9600, and if you get a chance, you know, you can always visit my website and Greg's website. Greg's website is www.abundantsolutionsenterprises.com. And my website is www.mindalteringstrategies.com. Or you can visit our MySpace pages. Greg is myspace.com ASEmotivation. And mine is myspace.com slash Brian J. Henderson. But Greg, tonight's guest Ooh boy, really needs no introduction. <laughs> no. She's a star of stage and screen and everything. She's done everything. She's a consummate singer and entertainer. She is the number one song writer. She's a composer. She's an author. She is a diva by design. she's been on tv shows and made guest appearances she has commanded crowds of thousands of listeners are you ready ladies and gentlemen miss gloria loring
3: (laughs) i love that you call me the diva because i have to tell you a funny story i was on tour the national tour of anything goes the theater tour and we were you know it was a bus and truck show we were all over the united states for about 17 18 weeks and um at one point something happened on stage that was just a mess and it happened sort of to me Uh, that's a long story so i won't go into that but i had to actually exit the stage in the middle of the song to correct something and then go back on stage
2: Wow. And of
3: course, you know, cast members who've been around the star of the show assumed that there was going to be quite a fit afterwards about what happened. And although I was embarrassed about having to leave the stage and fix this thing and then go back on, and, and, and it kind of threw us all for a little bit of a loop, but we picked up the end of the song and finished it and all. And later, at, when I got on the bus that night to go back to the hotel, everybody was kind of holding their breath watching me. And I said, oh, well, you know, you, you live and learn or something like that. And after that, they they said, I wasn't the diva, I was the anti-diva. <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> but
3: that's what happened. You know, that's the wonderful thing about being on stage, when you say life is a song when when you sing a song sometimes you hit the notes perfectly sometimes they don't come out exactly as you wanted and but you keep going you know even if you have to leave the stage you come back and pick up wherever you can you know
2: <laughs> yeah yeah yeah
3: and that's just the way it happens and i um i mean i, I don't know about you but my life has taken me in so many in, inspirational and interesting Areas. I mean, I never thought I'd be an author or a speaker or do some of the things I've done, but I was led there by, you know, sometimes I, I heard you talking about the blues, Gregory, and, yes. you know, saying that, that you know, it, it's hard to listen to those songs. or didn't relate so much. And I, for me, the power of the blues was always people telling the truth.
2: Yes. Yeah. Mm.
3: This is what it is. It hurts. I hate it you know i I wish it weren't so. I'm not sure how to fix it. um this is where my life is and and that to me was always the power of the blues is just being up willing to stand up there and and shout the truth to the world, share the truth with the world, and somehow, when we can voice what's bothering us or you know we have enough courage to tell it as they say, tell it like it is, as the saying yeah. goes. We, then that the blues doesn't have quite as much power over us. You know, It's you sing your song, and whether you write a sad song or whatever, there, there's something powerful about just getting to the point where you get to tell the truth, and you write it. That's why the arts are so important to children as they're growing up. And, you know, so many of our schools now are not having as many of the arts programs, and yet children learn a lot about dealing with their frustrations, with their joys, by expressing themselves through dance and music and drawing and, you know, musicianship. Uh, So, anyway, I just, I I was listening to you. I thought, well, I can relate about what you're saying about the blues, but I know also there's something very powerful about just being able to stand up there and tell the truth or sing the truth.
1: Yes, that is true. Yes. You know, it's interesting you would talk about children and music because my first question for you was what got you into the music industry what influenced you to become a singer
3: well i was just born one i think Um, i have a a niece like that from the time she was two and just like me um, she just sang she sang in tune she had the ear for it Um, you know she's still working on it a little bit and she's got a lot to learn she's only 10 now But uh, from the time I was a little girl, I sang in church choir. I sang, you know, if somebody was on the television, I'd try to to, um, mimic them. I'd get up and, you know, try to sing the song they were singing, according to my mom. From the time I was a little girl, two and a half, three years old, and uh, I sang in school productions. It was just a logical thing for me. I felt good when I sang. I loved to sing, and I did it well enough always a little better, I think, than people expected at that time, that that I got a lot of praise for it. You know, and you know how we like praise. <laughs> <laughs> you know how we like to have good things said about us. So Absolutely. I figured, well, this is working. I'm going to keep doing this. <laughs> yes.
2: You
1: know, um, the other question I had is, well, it's actually a comment. You know, my children are involved in music, and if you ask anybody that knows my family we're all involved with music heavily. I mean, they sing, they used to dance. They don't dance as much anymore. They uh, they play the violin and they're awesome at it. I have one daughter that plays five instruments. I think it is. Wow. And uh, they're all string instruments, and she's all and all, she's very good at all of them. You know, and you know you're right. In most of the schools I know, in our school uh, in our county here in Florida they actually are starting to embrace the arts more because they understand how important art, the arts is for children and their development and the fact that music helps them to develop you know, cognitive, uh, cognitive learning skills at yeah. a 30% higher rate.
3: That's, that's interesting. I didn't know any statistics, but I do know when, when you think of it, if you're playing an instrument, you have a small um, small hand, small um, you know, digital Coordination, mm-hmm. so that's one part of the brain, and you, you combine it with music skills and creativity, which is another part of the brain. Mm-hmm. So you're actually integrating different parts of the brain, and, and they have found that the, the young people who, who do have music and arts training actually do, they increase their intelligence, they do better, they're more likely to go on to college. So, you know, with all this emphasis on academics academics, I think um, some of the importance of of the arts has been sidestepped, but but you're right. I think more and more schools now are trying to do that. Um, I was involved uh, on the board of directors with an uh, an arts organization here in our community in Lake Arrowhead, California, Mm -hmm. and we put on a summer festival of of shows for families and that kind of thing, kind of, you know, come and picnic in the meadow sort of thing, but we also were able to put together a very special program Um, a friend of mine taught, um, and she has a a master's in this, and that was teaching the teachers how to use drawing to teach academic subjects, math, science, uh, language arts. And I'm still, now this is three years later, I'm still hearing from teachers and hearing feedback that that program was enormously helpful especially in breaking through to English as a second language children, um, where they were able to draw what the meaning of a word was, and that helped them solidify the English word in their minds. And so it was so exciting to see that the, um, the teachers excited. The teachers, we actually taught them as if they were the children so that they could then go and teach the, the children. And they just loved it. They had the best time, and they had all their little drawings up on the wall, you know, just like the kids do. And um, it, was, it was a very exciting thing to be a part of. And it, and it did solidify in my mind and my heart um, the importance of, of the arts, and that is a, a new breakthrough that's being used more and more now, is actually using the arts to teach academic subjects.
1: Hmm. Awesome.
0: Yeah, well, yeah, which is
3: which is a great idea because you, you know it's it's a two for one, you know.
0: Right. Yeah, you know what, um, Mrs. Lauren, the the music with with children, I, I think it also gives them an outlet to express their feelings. Wouldn't you say?
3: Oh, absolutely, absolutely. We're just say we like were talking about the blues or whatever, yeah, yeah. I mean, I just. I think it's so important for for children, and not all children are going to want to be musicians or have the ear for it, but but at least have some fun with dancing. I mean, I remember when I was in school, we had a a once-a-week folk dancing class. I mean, we learned all the academic subjects, and yet we had folk dancing in the middle of the week for an hour. And we would learn to square dance, or we'd learn this dance from this country or that dance, and... You know, everybody was out there dancing. And, again, that teaches coordination, body coordination and teamwork because you're working with, you know, you're dancing with other people. It was usually the kind of folk dancing sort of thing. But I just I remember that with such fondness. It was so much fun.
1: Yes, and I agree that we don't have enough of that nowadays, you know. And personally, I believe that it adds to the increased levels of obesity in our children because they're not as active and the fact that there's so much emphasis on education and so little emphasis on the arts and, you know, and exercising and, you know, the other things. It's like they're so focused on making sure they're smart enough that they're not being smart in other areas.
3: Well, children were not meant to sit at desks for six, seven hours a day. They just weren't meant to. And Um, My son would
1: love that statement. Oh, they're
3: not meant to. No, absolutely not. That's one of the things they've shown, that, especially for young boys. Mm -hmm. Sometimes using the the theater arts, the acting out of things, um, helps them learn, and it gets them up and gets them physically active, but they're still dealing with academic material. Mm -hmm. But then they're acting out a a scene, as an example, from the Civil War, or they're acting out... um, you know, some George Washington crossing the Delaware or, you know, something like that. Um, and and that can be a very powerful experience for children to increase their understanding by acting out or dancing out, uh, doing a creative dance of a situation. And they, they do retain much more information that way. So it's interesting. There is There is a coming trend. It's called arts-infused learning and it was it was fascinating to me when we did the research about it because we had to put in for grant money and and uh, we had a wonderful grant writer that we worked with and um she she really informed us about this area too she had a lot of interest in it she had been a social worker and she had been a teacher in the schools and she had tried to use the arts and she had been in that particular school had been uh, chastised a little bit, but now get back to the academic subject, but the kids learn better. Well, you have to do the program we tell you, Mm -hmm. you know, so anyway, well, you know, there are lots of things to fix, I don't know, (laughs) there are lots of things that could be better, yes, but life is a song, right?
1: (laughs) So, you know, with that, let me ask this question, do you believe that if the song starts off on the bad, on a bad note? If you just blow the first note in a song, does that make the whole song bad?
3: Oh, no, absolutely not. That's the thing you do is, you know, you might start shaky, but it's it's how you get through it. And the biggest thing is how you end a song. If you're actually talking about performance, because the last thing they hear is the last thing they remember most of all. <laughs> so you don't want to blow the last note, if at all possible. But you can always recover from a, a shaky start. I remember... Um, A number of years ago, I I sang on the Academy Awards, and I was singing two of the nominated songs, um, which was very exciting. It was for two Disney movies. This is quite a bit ago. And um, I had a long stairway, and I even remember it was 43 steps that I had to walk down. And, of course, because I I, I had my microphone in my hand, and the whole audience is out there, and there are a billion people watching, and you can't look down at the steps as you come down. So you've got—I had to kind of memorize how the steps were, and I practiced all day and that day, and I had everything was going fine. I was very calm all day long. Suddenly, we get to the final moment, and Bob Hope is introducing me. And, ladies and gentlemen, would you please welcome singing two of our nominated songs, Miss Gloria Loring. And the camera comes up on me, and the music starts, and I suddenly cannot find my breath. I suddenly blanked out. I couldn't see what the, oh, I couldn't think of the opening words. I, you know, and this is live. There's no, oh, excuse me, can we try that again? There's none of that stuff. Take two. There's none of that. And there I am at the top of 43 stairs, and I, all I could think of my, to myself was, okay, wait. Just start walking. The words will come. And I started walking down the stairs as the intro is playing, and I opened my mouth, and, you know, thank God for a mind that works. Um, the, the first line came out, and then I tried not to think about it too much because I was shaking, but, you know, fortunately they were on a long shot so nobody could see me shaking. And then, <laughs> and just as we discussed, I sort of gathered a little confidence. Okay, one line came out, and then the next line came out. And then I sort of okay now I remember this song, but that was I think one of the scariest times of my whole life as a performer. Mm. Just start walking; the words will come.
0: (laughs) You just have to trust. You just have to trust that you know what you're doing.
3: What else could I do? I couldn't run off stage. What were they (laughs) going? I mean, we were live around the world to a billion people.
0: (laughs) Oh my goodness! Did did you? I mean, could people really tell? Uh, what was going on, or did they think that was part of? The... Well, nobody
3: could tell because I didn't make any. I didn't do anything wrong. It was all going on inside my head.
0: Oh,
2: that's what I. It was all.
3: I, it just that I suddenly had trouble finding my breath. I, I was. I, I felt like my breath just stopped. I suddenly got so nervous. It was like all the excitement suddenly just overwhelmed me, and mm. I. I just thought, just put one foot in front of the other, start walking and maybe the first line will come out, and it did. Oh, boy, can you imagine if it hadn't? What would I have done? I could have ummed it, I suppose.
0: But, but in the middle of the song when you gathered yourself and you came back strong, what did it feel like when you walked off of stage? Did you, I mean, was it funny to you at that point?
3: Oh, no, it was not funny. It was like, oh, thank you, Lord. <laughs> that was just, it was just a major thank you, Lord. I, I was so grateful that I had gotten through it. It, and it was it was very good. it was very well received and and I got a lot of good comments and oh, but boy was I was glad it was over. I can tell you that
0: you know, <laughs> yeah, you know what, Miss Lauren, We have a lot of people that listen to our show that um want to be singers, models. I have a really good friend that's 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 a beautiful person, and mm-hmm. um I think that she's right there where she should be as far as modeling, but I think it it's about to happen for her. What advice would you give someone that's right there at the door? You know, when you're at that door, that's when you become really, really afraid and you don't want to go through it, but you feel like, well, I can't do this. Maybe I can, but maybe I can't. What, what advice yeah. would you have for
3: them? Well, I, I'll tell you what. What is it? John, John Wooden, mm-hmm. the, you know, the famous basketball coach. Mm-hmm. And he, or is it Henry Ford? No, I think it's Henry Ford. I, I'm getting the two confused. Uh, Henry Ford said, whether you think you can or you think you can't, you're right.
0: That's right.
3: And, you know, if I had in that moment when I was so afraid said, I can't do this, I would have added more drama and trauma inside my head to what was already going on. I calmed myself down. I started walking. I started breathing. (laughs) and, Hmm. And it came out, you know. I I really think, you know, when young people speak to me and say, you know, should I go, should I become an actress, should I become a singer, my standard reply to them is, if you have to ask me, no. If you say to me, "I'm, I'm going to be an actress, I'm going to be a model, I'm going to be a singer, then you most likely will, because you have a very clear vision in your head. And with all of the rejection and the, you know, all the things that can happen along the way, you've got to have a really clear vision of yourself. I always knew I was a singer. I always knew that's what I wanted more than anything. And by the time I graduated high school, I was already working professionally. Wow. So, it was just it's a matter of you know, we really are there's a, there's a, a word that it's kind of a nice word. We really are co-creators with the divine. You know, the we are given all these, all this incredible creativity that comes from the DNA of the ultimate creator. Yes. And I mean, we're we're created in that image, so we're told. That's right. <laughs> so we're meant to be creative, and and but you know, even though we have access to all of this, we have to take the action. I mean, your friend the model, she needs to to be going out for lots of auditions, learning from the ones that she she doesn't do well at or whatever um studying the models, studying, you know, her face and see where it looks good and you know, watching probably the you know, what is America's next top model would be a good show for her to watch. Yeah, but really yeah. making a study of the area that she wants to go into.
2: Mm.
0: You
3: can't just leave it to chance.
0: No, no, because by you the know time what,
3: I was fourteen I was already um, singing and earning, you know, you know, five, ten bucks for singing at a local coffee house. With a friend of mine who played guitar, but I was already out there working.
0: You know, Miss Long. What about the people that 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 they that don't push the envelope, that don't go forward, and they get older and they never try, they never open that door.
3: I don't think it's ever too late. Um, you know, join. I mean, if singing is something that. You got, I have, I'll give you an example. I have a very dear friend that when we finish our interview, I'm going over to their house for dinner, and um, Chip loved, his name is Chip, that's his nickname, Chip is now, seven, just turned 70 years old. Chip has one hand that was born with a bit of a deformity and doesn't work very well, and it's, it's a little kind of balled up. Is it kind of as if he's holding a fluffy ball in his hand, you know, it's kind of, but Chip always wanted to be a musician. But in his family, um, it was, no, you, you don't become a musician, you get a real job. So he went off and he became a, a, it's called the schmata Salesman. He was a clothing salesman. He had made a very good living, was very successful, made a lot of friends in the industry, in the, in the entertainment industry, because his wife was a dancer. All his life, he hated his work. He always wanted to be a musician. He finally retired and he took up piano. And he sits in his den, and he plays piano, and he sings. And when we have parties, Chip will sit down and play and sing for us. And the joy, the oh man is 70 years old. He, he took this up 10 years ago. And the joy on his face, and we, en- we enjoy him. We enjoy his happiness in creating music. So I would say to people, it's never too late. Join the church choir. Get in a local community theater group. Even if all you do is build sets, you know, just be a part of the creative process. Don't just because you didn't get to do it, maybe the way I did it, or, or you know, uh, uh, Jack Nicholson did it, or or Denzel Washington did it, or something. That doesn't mean you can't go out there and and experience what gives you joy.
1: Absolutely. You know, it's funny that you would uh, talk about your friend Chip. Chip sounds like a real cool guy, by the way.
3: He is. He's <laughs> just a dear.
1: And uh, I was talking to uh, one of my friends, and I was telling her about the recent concert that my children were involved in. There's a huge um, African-American violin group here. Wow. And they're actually based in South Carolina, Georgia, and Florida. And they had a big regional tri-state concert here in Tallahassee a couple weekends ago. And I had the opportunity to emcee the show, and my kids were involved, and they played, and it was a wonderful, wonderful event. And I was telling a friend about it, and she mentioned how her son, as a little boy, was playing. Uh, he played violin until he grew out of it, you know, where, he, where it wasn't cool anymore, so to
3: speak. <laughs> yes. Yeah.
1: And uh, she said that she had purchased a violin, and she wanted to learn how to play but hadn't played yet. And she said, that thing is just sitting in there collecting dust, and I haven't played it yet. And, you know, the question I posed to her, well, what are you waiting for? Yeah. You know, if you're going to play it, you might as well start today. You
3: better start now because five years will go by, and if five years from now you could be pretty darn good.
1: Absolutely, <laughs> I mean,
3: but not I'm unless you start. You,
1: <laughs> <laughs> you know, because I, I always, I always uh, talk about uh, the, one of the sons of our violin teacher.
2: Mm-hmm. His
1: name is Ashanti Floyd, and if you've ever heard this kid play the violin, he is the best violinist I've ever heard of. I oh,
2: have ever goodness.
1: seen. And he does amazing things. Well, he started out when he was old enough to hold up a violin. Yeah. When the violin was bigger than he was.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Three or four years you know? old, probably.
1: Right. You know. Well, oh, they so have it's amazing programs
3: now for with with violin for young the, the Suzuki method. I think was one of the
2: mm-hmm. the, the
3: first ones, and and it, it's just wonderful to see these children. And you know, once they learn to play an instrument, they may put it down. But they've had the training, and it's in their body. And right, and they don't the lose
1: it. It's like riding a bike.
3: Yep, yep. If they ever want to pick it up again, or or learn another instrument, guitar or something, they've already at least had that training early in their lives. I just think it's so wonderful. I remember when my son Robin, you know, you know, Robin oh, Six.
2: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yes, yes,
3: That's my darling son. I was just talking to him today, and he's working on his new album, and. I remember when he was about, oh, gosh, I'm thinking 13 or so, I arranged for him to have some piano lessons with two different teachers, and and, um, and then he quit. He didn't want to do it. And then his dad and I were separated, so he was back and forth to the two houses. Well, unbeknownst to me, he just sat down to the piano and kind of taught himself to play bass. He didn't like doing all those exercises. He just wanted to create his own music. Well, hello, he's been creating his own music ever since. And um, it was so surprising to me. About a year later, we had a party, and I said, Anybody want to sit and play Play something for us? And Robin said, Yeah, I will. I said, You play piano? (laughs) He hadn't told me the little sneak that he was teaching himself to play piano. (laughs) And it's been so wonderful to see that. I never did learn an instrument I can... Pick out the notes and the chords on a piano, but I don't have the facility to actually accompany myself. And it's been fun to watch him learn to do that.
0: Awesome. You know, we, we you are a spokesperson for uh, diabetes.
3: Yes, I am.
0: What 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 have you been doing with that lately? Have you been speaking? I, I, um. I know...
3: Actually, I had a couple of things just a few weeks ago. I was in Philadelphia with. Uh, at a a conference called uh, for the National Disease Research Interchange, and it is the largest tissue bank in the nation. And what it does is collect discarded tissue from hospitals that it then prepares properly and makes available to researchers for diabetes research and any kind of research, cystic fibrosis, anything at all. And um, and that was very exciting because I was in the room with some of the leading genetic researchers in the world, including Francis Miller, Dr. Francis Miller, who was the chair of the Genome Project.
2: Mm-hmm. So
3: I was pretty honored to be there and to hear them talking. You know, they they speak in such uh, detailed medical language, but it was it was very exciting to be there, and I was there to speak a little bit and, and just talk about those of us who care about the work they're doing, and I sang a song for them, and and then I was also in, uh, actually in South Carolina, Columbia, South Carolina, uh, for the Juvenile Diabetes Research Foundation, and in two weeks I'm going to be in Humboldt, Connecticut, for the Juvenile Diabetes, Diabetes Research Foundation for an event there to help them. So I still keep my hand in it, and I'm Happy to do that. My son Brennan, has had diabetes for 28 years now, and he's doing very well. He and his wife, of just a little over a year, are expecting a, a son. Uh,
2: oh! The end of congratulations! May. Yeah, great! Yeah.
3: Yeah, I'm going to be Nana Gloria. So exciting!
2: <laughs> so
3: exciting! I said, "Don't you call me grandma? You call me Nana. <laughs> <laughs> Nana G." <laughs> you know that's
1: you know that's funny because. My mom wants to be called Grammy.
3: Oh yeah, I've heard a couple of people now who are called Grammy.
1: You know, she doesn't want to be called Granny. She wants them, the kids to call her Grammy.
3: That's cute.
1: And I'm like, okay. I mean, you win an award or something, you know? <laughs> Grammy, <laughs> you know?
3: <laughs> no, that is a name. I think because sometimes the children can't say grandma, and it kind of gets just all smooshed together mm-hmm. into Grammy. Gram Grandma becomes Grammy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so very sweet.
2: Yes, yes.
3: But I've been involved with diabetes all these years, and, well, you know, we talked last time I was on, we talked about diabetes and the state of diabetes research and tried to answer a few questions for some people with diabetes.
1: Yes, yes. You know, and, you know, one of the things that, um, especially as it relates to diabetes, that I, I really try to get across to people when I talk about it is the fact that, you know, juvenile diabetes is at an all-time high.
3: Well, so is type two.
1: Yes, well, both of them yeah, actually. Yeah, you know, both,
3: yeah, just diabetes period. You're absolutely right.
1: And you know, and, and a lot of the like juvenile diabetes, I know, um, is something that they're born with. And well,
3: that's well, not entirely true. It's, it's kind of yeah.
1: sorta, you know, but
3: kind of sorta, you're right. <laughs>
1: you know, but you, if you catch it at an early age, from what I understand. It's manageable.
3: Well, okay. Um, yeah, yeah. Help me yeah. out, please. Okay, alright. Yeah, you know what? <laughs> might You're be right, and there's more. It's more complex, of course, as any disease process is. Right. With type one diabetes, when uh, usually they're diagnosed, uh, a person with type one is diagnosed before the age of thirty. So it's not something that they they are. Although I did hear recently of someone who was a child who was was diagnosed just a few weeks after. Um, usually there's a vulnerability, a genetic predisposition. They're predisposed to get diabetes, and um, then it comes on at some point, Um, sometimes associated with catching a virus. It seems like the virus kicks off the final assault on the beta cells, in the pancreas, which produce insulin, which is when you don't have enough insulin, that's when you have diabetes for your needs. Now, if you have type 2, it's more associated with a long-term wearing down process of the body and with obesity.
2: Uh When
3: you have, see, here's what happens. When we gain 40, 50, 60 pounds... The fat itself, it's, fat's not a passive thing. It actually becomes a hormone-producing mechanism in the body that produces hormones, chemicals, that interfere with the use of insulin. And then what happens is instead of the food that you eat going into the cells with the insulin, you're, you have, you eat, you're eating too much food, you don't have enough insulin, and so you get high blood sugar. The food, instead of going into the cells, Stays in the bloodstream. And high blood sugar is what defines diabetes. Whether it's because the beta cells, the insulin producing cells, have been destroyed, or whether you're just not making enough insulin for the amount of food and the amount of body that you have. So that's what diabetes is it's higher than normal blood sugar. And it causes a lot of damage. Yes. If you get type 1 or type 2, can be very manageable, but it requires an enormous amount of discipline. I mean, imagine if you, Brian, had to test your blood sugar four to six times a day, take three to four insulin injections every single day, and pay attention to what you eat every single meal all the time, no vacation for the rest of your life. Now, yeah, is that manageable? Mm, Probably, but it's difficult, isn't it? We can imagine the amount of discipline one would have to have to, to accomplish that day after day after day.
1: Yes, yes. I mean, and the thing is, you're saying manage, and it's really something that you have to watch. You have to stay, you know, pay very close attention to it.
3: Yes. So if there's any way to avoid diabetes, such as if you're overweight, losing the weight, very often people who, who lose that weight, and sometimes they don't have to lose all of it, but they can lose a significant enough amount that then their, their blood sugars get very close to normal and, and they don't have very much trouble managing it. It's much more complex managing it when you have type one. But when you're type two diabetes, which is the supposedly the lesser form of it, but causes all the same complications, um, when you have type two and it's it's associated with weight gain, you know, adding exercise and reasonable food and the proper medication, very often if you can lose a lot of that weight, you can bring yourself out of that diabetic state, which is the higher than normal blood sugar, and anything you can do not to have diabetes, is so worth it, even though it's tough. Because I have met people who have lost their eyesight, who okay. have lost their legs, and every one of them said, if I'd, I wish I'd taken it seriously. I wish I had understood that I would not be immune to these, this, these side effects, these complications of the high blood sugar. Because, you know, when you have high blood sugar, that's going through your whole body. So it affects your blood vessels in your eyes, in your kidneys, in your, in, around your heart, in your feet, in your limbs. Um, you get very painful neuropathy. Believe me, everything that you can do to keep yourself under manageable control with diabetes, get yourself back to somewhere close to normal weight, exercise, live that healthy lifestyle, it is so worth not going into complications. Don't you love that show, The Biggest Loser? Have you watched that?
1: Oh, yeah. I love that show. Isn't
3: that amazing? What those people do, what they what they commit themselves to, and then the reward that they get when they just completely change their life. I just think that I just think that's one of the most inspirational shows on the air.
1: Absolutely, yes. yeah, absolutely. Yes, absolutely. And the fact that they do it with hard work and exercise and eating right, yeah. and you know, watching what they eat. You know, it's a, it's just a testament of. What hard work will get you,
0: and you know exactly. what the part yeah, the part I like about it is when they feel like they can't go on and they want to quit, and they, and the other people are telling them their friends are telling them, "You can do this, you can do this," and yeah. really, that's just how life should be. We should, our friends should tell us when we or, or see us in a position that we feel like we want to give up, they should say something.
3: I think so many. I think most of us do have that. Sometimes we don't listen, but <laughs> <laughs> that's
2: true. That's true. But I think
3: most people have somebody who can who would say to them in a tough situation, "Hey, I'm here. Let me know what you need. I think you can make it through this. You know, just keep like like my my day my night on the Oscars. Just put one foot in front of the other and start walking. You know,
0: <laughs> just keep moving. <laughs> yes, I wanted to ask you about your son. Is it Brennan?
3: Brennan, yeah. Yeah,
0: Brennan. How old was he when he was diagnosed with uh, diabetes?
3: He was four and a half years old, and he'd been an absolutely healthy little boy Mm -hmm. up until that day. Um, Mm -hmm. He'd never even had a cold. The only thing he had was about, uh, I guess, about six weeks, six, seven weeks before we discovered the diabetes. Um, He got chicken pox. And he was such a healthy boy that he had them literally for about a day. And he had a fever for about two hours. And then they went away. And he was just fine. He was up a day and a half later. And, you know, we kept him home until the doctor said it was fine. But, I mean, he was sick for like a day and a half. And that was it. So I didn't think a thing of it. But as I said, sometimes a virus can kick off the final assault on the pancreas. They know now that when you have a predisposition to get diabetes, that it's a genetic factor, that you're actually go, moving toward becoming diabetic for months, even years, before you actually cross that line. Right, the, the, right. the beta cells are being killed off slowly, but then there comes that point where there just aren't enough of them to fulfill your needs. And and that's when you cross into that high blood sugar
1: and, you know, and then you have it and that's it. Yeah, You know, Ms. Lauren, I have uh, individuals in my family that are both type 1 and type 2 diabetes. Uh-huh. And the interesting factor about the ones that are type 2 diabetes is that most of them are really borderline, but they're so close to being, you know, where sometimes their blood sugar is high higher, high enough to be into that realm, and then sometimes it's low, Mm
2: -hmm. that
1: they can literally eat certain things, and then their blood sugars will spike. Yes,
2: yes.
1: You know, and they talk about, well, I can't eat this, and I can't eat that, because it'll spike, it'll go up. Yeah. You know, and, you know, the uh, the couple that I'm thinking about in my family that have the type 2, they also fit the category of being obese. Yes, yeah. And so what would you say, do you think it, that if they lost those couple of pounds, that it could take it to where it's not borderline to being away from it? Because I'm trying to convince them that, that I believe that will help. Oh,
3: absolutely. If they could get with um, a, a good uh, trainer who understands diabetes, they should. They should. I'm sure they're working with a diabetes educator if they're borderline. Mm. Somebody's keeping track of them, I would think. Yes. Um, but if they could get with a good trainer and set up a little a program like a little walking program, and they're going to start slow because depending on how obese they are, that's going to be a tremendous difficulty for, you know, their legs and their knees at first. I mean, we see the people on Biggest Loser, you know, trying to run up a hill, and it's really, really hard. And these are young people, some of them, you know, in their late 20s and 30s. and So so they you start slowly, but it helps to work with a buddy, and it helps to have some goals in mind. Um, gee, I want to drop a dress size. Gee, I want to... You know, I want to be able to go out and play with my kids without huffing and puffing. And, you know, kids are a great motivator for parents. You know, the idea, I mean, we've heard, we've seen it on that show. You know, some of the the fellas will say, and they they cry. They say, I want to be there when my son graduates college. At the rate I'm going now, I'm 320 pounds. I'm not good. My doctor says, I'm not going to be there. I mean, I can imagine if I strapped another 100 pounds on me and tried to walk around. Can you imagine the burden on my heart all of a sudden? Oh my word.
0: Yes, we see people now in, in this country, we I don't know if it's just um I, I can't say I don't I don't wanna say that they don't care about their health, but it's almost like they um are are eating disorders. They some things they just can't pass up on and they'll eat it knowing that they'll be sick. I've seen people with diabetes, say, well, you know, I can't have this, but we're at a party and they have a retirement party or something and they have punch and cake and, you know, they get it and they eat it anyway, knowing that it's going to make them sick.
3: I know, I know. And And
0: that's the sad part.
3: Yeah, we just have to have compassion for them and and hope that at some point something will come into their frame of, frame of mind that'll inspire them to want to take care of themselves. And sometimes it takes something like a heart attack, and hopefully if they live through it, and then they go, okay, you know. Because a lot of people think it can't happen to them. A lot of smokers, oh, well, I won't get lung cancer. Yes. You know, somebody else will get it, but I won't get it. And, and you know, these things do happen to us, too. So. What
0: improvements have you seen in diabetes since uh, since you've been the spokesperson with them? I know that They've come a long way. I know that a lot oh, of things yeah. are happening.
3: Well, the technical, I mean, there are people now who don't have diabetes because they've received beta cell transplants. I mean, that's still an experimental stage, but there are people who've gotten kidney and, and, um, and pancreas transplants and don't have diabetes anymore. There are people who've gotten beta, just the beta cell transplants and they don't have diabetes anymore. We have all these great meters now that make it so easy that you know that the tiniest little drop of blood and, and a readout that's really fast and and now they're you know they're, they have um, actually a, a, a meter that reads your blood sugar and I that you that you actually hook up to your insulin pump and it wow. reads your blood sugar and helps. You, I mean, I think this is just coming out of the experimental stage now. You know, it's almost kind of like it's, it's like a, an extra pancreas, but it's one that you wear on the on your belt. Um, so the the, the the technology is just getting more and more exciting, and as we would expect it to. You know, the, they they stand on the shoulders of all the people who did much hard work in the early years, um, such as yourself. Yeah, well, I didn't do that work. I didn't do the research work. But all of us who contributed to making sure that the research got done, at, I mentioned that um, NDRI um, the Tissue Bank uh, Genome Project fellow was there. And the woman who was the founder of JDRF, uh, Juvenile Diabetes Research Foundation, which is the largest diabetes research foundation in the world, giving this last year, I think it was over 120 million dollars directly to the researchers, and um, Lee Ducat, she founded that about 37 years ago, and 26 years ago, she founded the National Disease Research Interchange, because she realized that in talking to all the researchers about their diabetes research, that they needed to get the tissue samples in order to test their therapies on them. And so she went off and founded this other amazing, long-term, really helpful uh, organization. That's a nonprofit and helps the researchers. So uh, it it, just—it's so exciting to be around people like this who have done so much, and and you just have such enormous respect for them.
1: Yes, as we do all. You know, it's it's a thing that's definitely needed, and it's so important that we have people that are out there working in the trenches to try to find a cure, ways to manage it yeah. so that, you know, we as a whole have a, you know, healthier and better outlook and lifestyle.
3: Yeah. I know. I tell my son, your job is just to take really good care of yourself so when the cure comes, there hasn't been damage done that's irreparable. So, so, and I really do wish that for everybody listening. I. You know, if I could have any of them speak with someone who went blind or lost a leg, and, and you know, the, every one of them says, if I'd, I wish I had taken it more seriously. Because uh, the research has shown, the studies have shown, that if you manage your blood sugars and keep them as pretty close to normal, as much as you can each day, and there's a certain test called a hemoglobin A1C, that everybody with diabetes should be getting, and everybody should know their number, and their number should be below seven. And um, but most people with type two diabetes don't even know what the test is, and they don't even know if their doctor's doing the test. And that is not an acceptable level of care. So we have to hope that people are gonna, oh, you know, take it seriously, so they don't have to suffer. I hate. I just hate it when I meet somebody who says, oh gosh, if only I had done something about it sooner. But you know what? Some of us learn lessons the hard way. Yes. And we we can just feel compassion for them and and do the best we can to, to listen and help them if they're a person in our family.
0: Yes. Miss Laurie, I I, I know a, a, a lady that used to work in a place that I used to go all the time and she was dealing with uh, diabetes and she would eat things that she shouldn't eat, and she would say, well, I know I shouldn't eat this, but I know, and and she was missing, well, she was out of work for probably about two months, mm-hmm. and I kept asking about her, and they told me that they had to amputate one of her legs mm-hmm. because of a lot of the things that she was eating and her, um,
2: mm-hmm.
0: yeah, her, her diabetes had got out of control and they had to do yeah. something. And I, uh, the first thing I thought about was all those times that she said, "I know I shouldn't eat this, but."
3: Well, she really thought she she somebody didn't help her understand what can happen. Uh, you know, they didn't or they didn't get through to her, or she mm-hmm. thought she'd be the exception. And um, so, you know, look, there are worse things than losing a leg. It's hard. It's painful. It's. Eh. But what are you going to do? I mean, those are the choices some of us make, and um, you know, hopefully, then she started to take better care of herself. One, one would hope.
0: Yes, yes, I that pray, I pray that she does. Yes.
3: Yeah. Ms.
2: Lauren, let me
1: ask a question, and you know, I'm, I don't know enough about diabetes to to know the answer to this question. But mm-hmm. can you actually have both types of diabetes?
3: No, no, okay. you would have either one or the other you but the thing that is might be confusing that that you might be relating to is that you can have type 2 diabetes but be on insulin. And uh. so that but you usually think of people if you know a little bit about diabetes, you know that type people who have type 1 are on insulin. Right. But then people with type 2 are, sometimes about 40% of them cross over and start to take insulin. It doesn't mean that they now have type one.
2: Okay. okay. Um,
3: it just what it just means is that they've they've taken the drugs, but they haven't maybe done all the lifestyle things that that they could do. And maybe sometimes even when they have the body, the pancreas just wears out. It gets the poor baby gets tired, mm-hmm. and it just can't produce enough insulin for that person's needs. So at that point the insulin is injected because, you see, the drugs, the oral drugs, the medications they take, those are either to help you use the insulin you already have or to try to force the pancreas to make more insulin. Well, you know, if, if you're forcing an organ, you, you know, sooner or later, it's going to get tired. Yeah.
2: Right. So
3: that's, that's my understanding, and I'm sure a doctor could speak to that more uh, completely than I have.
2: Wow.
3: But that might be the the you know, your your ideas, well, if you had type one or you had type two and now you're on insulin, are you now a type one?
2: Right. But
3: no, you're still a type two, it's just that you've gotten you've been one of those forty percent who need to go on insulin. Yeah. So uh, you
0: know, I, I'm I'm gonna tell my friend Janelle about uh, tonight's show Janelle, the model—that's that, that's her name—the person that I was telling you about—that um, mm-hmm. she's right, she's right at the door. She's right at the door. So I'm—I'm I'm well, definitely tell her to def- just
3: open it and go on in. What is she <laughs> got to lose? You know what? I have a friend named Danny and Brinkley who wrote a very famous book, a very big bestseller called Saved by the Light. And Danny and was struck twice by lightning, once and both times while he was talking on the phone. The first time he was dead for twenty eight minutes. The second time, the lightning came through the phone again three years later. And so, when Danny, it's so funny. You'll be talking to him about something, and and he'll say, well, I'm just going to go do such and such, and I'm going to tell him such and such. And you say to him, you are? And he says, yeah, what are they going to do, kill me? (laughs) 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 Been there. It was great. He said, I can't wait to go back. Heaven's fabulous. <laughs> I just love it. What are they going to do? Kill me? <laughs>
0: I'm definitely, I'm definitely going to tell Janelle
2: about that one.
3: Oh yeah, that exactly. What's you know, but what uh, of the the uh, research says that most people would rather die than be involved in public speaking?
2: <laughs> yes, yes, that's true. That's true. They're
3: more afraid. No, they're, it's, they're more afraid of. Of publics getting up and giving a speech than they are of dying,
2: <laughs> yes,
0: I heard wow. that. that that's true, that's true.
3: I've heard that a number easy. of times
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> that's
3: pretty funny, anyway. well, I just love that you do this show and and you get such uplifting messages and words to people. Now, how long have you had this show on the air now? Uh, it's been over a year, hasn't it, Brian
1: yes uh, we we actually did one year last Monday.
3: Well, congratulations!
1: Yes, last Monday was our first year on Thank the you. you know full year on the air.
3: Wonderful! And I know are nationwide one. now.
1: Actually, you can away. listen to it worldwide. It's yeah, on worldwide, uh, yes. worldwide radio, uh, internet radio. So, oh,
3: for heaven's sake! I didn't realize that. Oh, that's wonderful. <laughs> well, I don't. I didn't hear it because I was doing it. So <laughs> last time, right?
2: Yes. yes. Well, yes. that's
3: great. Well, yeah. I wish you lots of lots of good fortune with you, the continuation of your show. I just think it's such a wonderful idea. Well,
0: thank we we can't we can't tell you, you how much. many people. Yeah, we can't tell you how many people we've met, but we have about three minutes left. I think Brian had something for you.
3: Oh yes.
1: Yes, I want you to just give out some of your information, um, mm-hmm. books, so like information about your cookbook and your diabetes book.
3: Just All right. Like, well, my guy. Yeah, my diabetes book is called Living with Type 2 Diabetes, Moving Past the Fear. And you can go to Amazon.com and look up Gloria Loring and Living with Type 2 Diabetes. And it, it should be there. It was there two weeks ago. And then I have a website, GloriaLoring.com, and there are CDs and, and um, that wonderful song you mentioned at the beginning of the hour, Friends and Lovers that I recorded with that extraordinary singer, Carl Anderson, who unfortunately left us three years ago. Mm -hmm. Um, He was just an amazing singer, and it was such a gift to me to perform with him. And just one year before he passed, um, I asked him if he would re-record a version of that song, because the, the first version had been taken off the market and was very hard to find. And uh, so he and I went into the studio and recorded it. And it is on my new album, which is called A Playlist. And uh, so that's available on the website also. And there's lots of information about diabetes stuff and, you know, lots of good things in there.
1: All right, all right. Ladies and gentlemen, Miss Gloria Loring. And we thank you so much for joining us tonight.
3: Well, thank you so much for having me on the show. I always enjoy talking with the two of you, and I wish you much continued success.
1: Thank you, thank you. you. And, Greg, I want to end tonight with just a comment for all of our listeners. You know, we have a lot of people that listen to the show and a lot of people that go through certain things, and I just want to say this. When you're walking on the stage of life and the curtains open and you begin to sing and words can't come out, and your life is stagnant or stunted, and you just don't have a clear vision, just start walking,
3: and the words will come. Put one foot in front of the other. <laughs> just one foot in front of the other. Just keep moving. But <laughs> it's harder for him to get a moving target, you know? <laughs> absolutely, absolutely.
1: You know, I actually wrote that down when you said it, because I said, I'm going to use that.
3: Oh, and I'm going to say my
1: friend Miss Flor- Miss Gloria Loring said it.
3: <laughs> <laughs> That's great. I love it. Just keep walking. <laughs> yes. All right. Well, thank you so much for having me on and maybe we'll do it another time and you take care and have a good evening.
1: You yes. too. Anytime you want. Anytime right. you want just give us a call.
3: Thank you so much.
1: Thank
3: All you.
1: All right. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All, right. All right. Be sure to uh, get with us on Monday as we'll have another Power Pack show. With that being said, you've been listening to the Abundance.
2: Talk Radio.